Welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing podcast, brought to you by Revenue Marketing Alliance. In this series, our host, Paul Sweeney, is joined by leaders in the field to talk all things revenue marketing. Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing podcast. Thank you for your company as ever. Today, we're going to be discussing how data can be used as a springboard for creativity. It's an interesting topic, so I'm not sure people would view these topics as necessarily natural bedfellows. Uh, to discuss this, I'm joined by Keith Povey from Panacea. Interesting side note, Keith is the only other person I've met who also has revenue marketing in their job title. Keith, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and uh, what you're up to? Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, Keith Povey, Director of uh, Revenue Marketing, as, as Paul prefaced there uh, at Panacea, a little um, uh, hyper-growth scale-up in the cybersecurity space. Um, we've got a, a small but perfectly formed team over here chasing after CISOs, which seems to be what every other security uh, vendor does in the world. Uh, doing well at it and having a lot of fun and trying to be creative, which is how this topic came up. Right. And do you've worked in tech for a long time? Is this your first tech job? Um, I have been a geek for well over two decades now. Uh, I always say one of the most interesting part of that story is I only ever, I went to work for IBM in my sandwich year. And I picked IBM because they paid the most money and I've been in IT ever since. So greed got me to this point, but now I uh, I geek out on most tech now. So not it, it was uh, it was retrospectively a good match. Perfect, perfect. So I think um, creativity starts by kind of dreaming big, by opening the kind of lens really wide, being open to new ideas and approaches where I think people's most often kind of viewpoint on data is that it cramps creativity uh it's often you know it's very specific it's perceived as being inflexible so keith let's start really big how on earth do you use data to inform your creative efforts yeah we start with the big one um i think because creativity is um if you did six or seven years working in an agency and very often working with some amazing designers the scariest thing for them was a brief that was really open with a big blank piece of paper in front of them and no guardrails to where they should go and you're just watching this big creative brain going oh i don't know which way i'm going to go with this so briefs although they would all curse a brief i'm pretty sure each time it actually gave them direction and i think data does the same thing data is at its core uh indicators patterns trends markers for us to have a jumping off point and um, you know, whatever campaign it is or whatever activity it is in marketing, if you use data as the foundation for creativity, you, I think it allows you to be more creative because you're confident that you're going in the right direction. If I decided to rebrand Panacea into orange and purple penguins, I would need some really strong data to prove why I would change the cybersecurity to look that way. But if I've got data that says, um people are reacting better to this type of content or this particular imagery or these particular colors i think that's that's kind of the most sort of uh boiled down sort of example i can give you i think data creating that jumping off point then allows you to go hard at the pattern or direction that it's it's showing you if it's showing you that a particular idea ideal customer profile is x and we know that that particular profile reacts really well to handwritten letters and 
high-level two-star Michelin dinners, that's that's still that's very that's very not creative, but that's still creativity. That's a creative direction. I could have chosen to go to that ICP in lots of different ways. The other extreme end is, you know, um, augmented reality or whatever. Like you, you can go. What I love about my job is there's so much we could pick from, but I think you need data to show us which way we need to go. Okay. So what sort of data do you use day to day to help you make it, make you a better marketer or help to make, you know, Panacea's marketing ultimately better and effective? Well, I think like it's as simple as knowing um, for those, uh, those of us that have done sort of critical path analysis on a website. It's as critical, it's as basic as knowing which page are people visiting the most. Okay. So that's the page where I need to really focus on optimization, doing some really cool CRO stuff. Some of that's functional, moving call to actions up and down, changing the length of text. But some of it's about how punchy you make that 30-second intro video. Some of it's about introducing audio branding when you arrive on the page. Some of it's about how irritating that pop-up for the live chat is and what you do with it and what you want that opening line to be from your AI live chat bot. Like all of those things are all based on the fact, all of those decisions that we subsequently make are based on the fact that we know that's the page that people come in at the most. If you then ramp it all the way up, like you're running applications or you're running uh, engagement inside a particular system, behavioral triggers, technographic um, triggers, past behavior triggers, um, tie, all of these kind of things, all of it wraps up into, okay, then we know where they are. We know how they're behaving. We know that what they want. We know what they've got. What then for us as marketing, uh, what is the best combination of creativity and content and copy and message to um, optimize their engagement and their conversion? Like creativity then can take any form. Like I say, it could be outlandish uh, graphics, it can be punchy, borderline, irreverent headlines. It can be, you know, SDRs were doing it three or four years ago. It could be sending um, weird GIFs in prospect mm-hmm. emails in the hope that someone will click on it. All of these kind of things are different measures of creativity. And to be honest, it's creativity that keeps me being a marketer. Otherwise, I'd probably, you know, I'd be in operations or I'd be in sales. Like, it's it's those little flourishes of expression and those little human touches that I think AI is a long way away from getting to where you empathize and understand the persona that you're trying to reach and you try and work out the best way to reach them with it. Yeah. It must be a really interesting proposition to build a team around because I think the, I don't, I don't know whether this is true, but the impression is certainly that creative folks aren't normally the most data literate and data literate folks aren't the most creative. So finding people that fit both of those bills or just accepting that you can't and having a team that has different skill sets and you kind of synthesize those skills must be a nightmare to try and uh, build a team that you know has is data literate but also highly creative Um, you know i've been running teams for a number of years now and hopefully if you went back through the teams that i've worked with you would find that i generally run by three rules right so i have three rules for my team the first one is be brave because otherwise what's the point Second one is, what does the data tell you? And the third one is, um, has a swear word in it, but we'll say it's 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 DBFB is the is the acronym. Don't be okay. bored. I'll let everybody work out what the F stands for. But if as IT and B2B marketers, we look at a piece of work 
And we don't know why we're doing it because we don't have data to back it up. And we look at it and puff out our cheeks and think that it's boring. At that point, we're failing because at that point, I'm about to send a piece of content to, in that instance, let's say, a senior security decision maker. And I think it's drier than the desert. So what do you think someone that hasn't asked for it to arrive in their inbox is going to think? They're going to think the same thing. And so even if it's content providers, even if it's email marketers, even if it's my campaign um, managers, even if it's the SDRs that work for me, uh, et cetera, et cetera, if they run by those rules that they know they've got a data set behind them and they know that they're taking steps to make it more interesting, more engaging, braver, then to your point, that's a, that's an ethos that, anyone can get behind even if they're not creative because you are an it b2b marketer but by default by reaching out to that persona you are also in some part a cybersecurity professional and if you as the person that's created that content think it's dull do not send it because you aren't going to get the reaction that you want and then you're into the space of doing stuff for the sake of it sending emails for the sake of it and we know that there's heard a stat um earlier this month like i can't remember it's like something crazy like 10 15 20 billion emails sent every day like are you that's insane and and you're going to send something that you already think's a bit dry don't do it mm. i also recognize that i work in cyber security and sometimes what i send is a little bit dry but if everybody takes that one or two those one or two steps to make it more interesting and to try and empathize and understand there's a human at the end of what you're doing then you can eke creativity in there and i think to your point paul about who who's creative and who's not creativity is a spectrum like if creative you could boil it right down to changing to taking the question mark off the end of a subject line and making it more of a statement than you do a, a question right make it more definitive all the way up to making it an email to a CISO that only has four lines in it and a giant graphic like and what that graphic is could be outlandish and ridiculous like there's loads of different ways we could express ourselves I just I I think my teams when I run them I impress them on I impress on them the need that to have bravery and be creative but also to to understand that you're sending it to someone that's probably really busy or mm-hmm. indefinitely always busy yeah 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 absolutely right I think the in my experience the biggest battleground between pure creative folk and pure data folk is the website. I think pure creative folk view the website as a piece of art, and it is a piece of art. I've worked at some companies that have very beautiful websites, um, and the person responsible for them is very, very invested emotionally in the kind of look and feel of it, and you know they poured their heart and soul into it. And then you've got some data-driven revenue marketers saying, let's like this up like the Las Vegas Strip so we can get our conversions up. You know, where do you find the balance between those kind of competing uh, <laughs> competing priorities? Oh, we've all been in those calls. And, you know, on one hand, the creatives think that these these scientists are there to butcher their work and in the in vice versa, the scientists are asking, what's the point in having beautiful work if nobody clicks on it? And somewhere in between, you're refereeing the two. Mm-hmm. Um it is about it's about horses for courses, I think, and and but I think you can boil it back to data. So, the homepage, great example, probably has to be the ultimate hybrid uh, mix of CRO and beauty and engagement and and the brand popping. That that priority one page when you're doing the wireframe, 
absolutely has to be nailed on and that's the one that probably you're going to have the biggest tug of war over you want to be exclaiming your brand and everything you stand for and creatively demonstrate who you are but at the same time however whatever great big percentage of your visitors are arriving at that page on a on a daily weekly monthly basis and you have to make sure that traffic's worth something to the business i think when you get further into pages there's places where you can express yourself and uh function form over form and function over style perhaps you perhaps doesn't need to win the battle and then you get to something like a demo request page where it's you can you can draw a direct line from that page to revenue of your business mm-hmm. form and function wins there but as the referee stood in the middle you have to ensure form and function doesn't completely overall creativity and expression of creativity again because i think you have to measure it and weight it against the fact that it's a human it isn't a stat that fills that form in and chooses to give their data over to your company and and we all know enter into a someone's sales funnel which will inevitably enter sales calls or sales emails and subsequent follow-up emails and everything else there's a measure of pain that we all knowingly take on when we fill in one of those forms so to be empathetic to that and to have creativity and expression and connection and engagement that mitigates it or excuses it or at the very least justifies it versus form function, again, it's a balancing act. I know that is a really marketing wishy-washy answer to your question, Paul, but I think you have to, that's what a leader needs to do. And it will be different for each solution or different for each product it'll be different for each industry etc etc you just have to make that judgment call i think hey podcast people looking for new ideas and resources to crush your revenue marketing goals our pro plus membership is your secret weapon with pro plus you'll be armed with a growing toolkit of accredited courses real world case studies and battle tested templates to annihilate the competition with this plan you get access to our Revenue Marketing Certified Core Course, which will equip you with insider frameworks and secrets to dominate leads, campaigns, and feedback loops. We're also dropping exclusive master's courses so you can learn from the greats. You'll be taking names in positioning, segmentation, and more. Plus, score a free yearly ticket to our exclusive Revenue Marketing Summit at a location near you. Rub shoulders with the titans of the industry. Whether your goals are short, medium or long term, Pro Plus gives you the ammo to conquer them all. Lock and load Pro Plus at RevenueMarketingAlliance.com and start dominating like never before. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the tension there is that, you know, data-driven revenue marketers have the data right. They know what converts, they know what, you know, results in marketing qualified leads in, you know, sales conversations and pipeline and revenue. I think brands and brand equity is really hard to measure, to weigh, but everyone knows that it's important because we all engage with brands every day and it's it's, it's not measurable, it's soft, it's fluffy, it's ultimate soft factors. Um, and I, I've never quite managed to work out how to measure brand and the importance of the brand. And the problem is that creative people often tend to work in the kind of, or trend towards the brand parts of marketing. Um, and there's enormous value in it without being able to in any way quantify what that value is. <laughs> I, I think um, I think investment in brand and the importance of brand is only evident subsequently after you've removed it. If you 
if you're a company that fails to see the value in it, and I've worked for a couple where um, budget cuts are needing to be made and the first things you see to go are the soft, fluffy stuff um, and the demand gen and the numbers around <laughs> achieving pipeline remain there. That's short-termist, particularly for me. I've been working in startups now for a number of years the importance of having a brand that people recognize and trust and are aware of and associate with the right things over a longer period of time almost dwarfs demand gen. However, the way, for instance, a, a PE-backed or a VC-backed startup works, that demand gen pipeline trumps everything. So, you, again, at the top of your tree, you need, a, you need a leader that can strike that balance and understand the importance of the two because I've worked in organizations that made those soft cuts to the the less tangible returns in favor of the finite returns and over the next six to 12 months there's a hole for them to fill because over that six to 12 months the work that you put into brand awareness and brand equity up until that point are still kind of feeding you for the next six months and slowly but surely you're going to see this drop off because you aren't putting the work in and you're not investing to be in front of the right people on a, on a subjective and um, soft metric kind of way, and you're going to suffer for it. And it's it, you, the penny will drop and the money will come out, but then you're in a six month deficit before you can build that equity back up again. It's a really, it's, a, it's not a clever thing to do. So I think the measurement of how valuable brand equity and investment in it is only measurable in its absence. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It sounds like you quite like being provocative in your marketing. <laughs> you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess my question would be: you know, we're going to have people listening to this who work for big public listed companies like I do. We're going to have people working for startups and every kind of you know size of company in between. Do you think it's a little bit easier to take that kind of provocative approach at the kind of startup end of the market versus the kind of big listed company where you know the the consequences of a slight mishap in terms of tone can be quite um, quite big well yeah especially um in the climate we're in now where a, a slight misstep can very easily be magnified to something that's probably disproportionate to the misstep in the first place right it can snowball really quickly yes i do i do and i and i think that but then that's that's kind of the other side of the argument i think the larger organizations understand the value of their brand there's 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 literal dollar values against their brand and mm -hmm. then they protect it with their life and that's why the guidelines and the the you know uh logo cops out there um protect it so fiercely because it does have a true extrinsic value to the business so yeah. the um it is easier it's easier to be irreverent i think it also places a demand on uh, newer brands to be that pick a big friendly giant. If I go head to head with IBM, they can outspend me. Their brand awareness and brand equity will dwarf me from now for another century. I'm not going to cut through that noise. Mm -hmm. The old adage, nobody ever got fired for, for buying IBM. All of those things are surround a business that I can't compete with if I try and do the same things they're doing. And that pushes me down uh, an analogy I've used a lot in in the startups I work, uh, it pushes me down into being the mouse that roars. Like you have to be small but loud. That doesn't mean you have to be rude. It doesn't mean necessarily you have to be um, 
disruptive in a negative sense. You can be contrary, you can be um, brash, you can be opinionated, all without being out of order. And I think smaller brands, as a challenge, as marketing, have to find a way to cut through and create engagement. And if you try and go toe-to-toe with a giant of the industry, you will lose. You have to sort of circumnavigate them. Yeah, yeah. I've worked for both startups and for um, some of the largest kind of enterprises. And my overall feeling is that the smaller creative, you know, the mouse that rules, I really like that expression. They can compete and they do compete. Um, And it's because they're nimble and they're fast and they can take a risk or more of a risk. Um, Like I said, you don't want to cross that line, but, you know, you can push the boundaries a bit more, whereas logistic companies are by almost definition, um, yeah, like I said, trying to protect their brand at all costs. You've got some considerable experience in this area. Are there any companies that you think do this really well, where you think, you know, they've really nailed the data to creative process, that kind of feedback loop in terms of looking at data, what's working, what's not, feeding that back into the creative process to create this kind of virtuous circle of, you know, creating content or you know, just improving their marketing continuously through uh, through data? I think on a day-to-day basis, and again, we don't necessarily always consider it to be creativity, but um, on a day-to-day basis, the Netflix and the Amazons of the world, I know you and I discussed it previously about how Netflix does this. Netflix and Amazon do it continuously. They are getting user data, behavioral data, location data, language data, time of watching data, all of these things, not just from you as an individual, but from you're then put into great big customer profiles and then you're like, likewise audience matched across the board. Mm. recommendations being delivered to you, push notifications coming through to you at different times. It's super smart. And then if you get into Amazon, which we, um, you know, it's almost about as close to commercially ubiquitous as you can get. Yeah, it's basically a public service. Isn't it? Yeah, precisely. Like I, I, my Christmas shopping would not happen without Amazon. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm not alone in that. And, you know, that again, behavioral data, profiling data, user data, clicks, linger times, all of those things are going into what your front page looks like, the emails you receive, the promotional emails that you get, et cetera. It's, it, that is one form of creativity. I would say the other way around, especially now with the advent of AI tools or more and more responsive marketing tech, the personalization route, um, is the same. Whereas before, and I'm old enough and got enough gray hairs to, you know, personalization was your name in an email 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Then it became the arduous task of creating personalized URLs, which weren't all that personalized. They were kind of static. And over the last two decades, we've got to the point where I can factor in so many more data points to tailor your experience. And those platforms now sit underneath everyday activity. And that personalization is another form of creativity. Do I send you this message uh, stream or this message stream? Did you do X or did you do Y? All of that um, sort of message tree, sort of decision tree um, splits are all done on data points that then drive the next batch of creativity. And I think we all do it to some degree. I just, you know, it should be baked in more and more. Uh, yeah, uh, data is the foundation of all that. If I did that in my work, I would be shot if I didn't have a basis for why I was doing it. At least then if it goes wrong, 
And it does. Like we should all be in this um, don't be scared of failure mentality. That's the that's the bit of the teams that I run where I ask them to be brave. I've got no problem with people getting it wrong. But the data told you, if you can prove the data told us to do it, mm-hmm. and the data is telling you to turn it off, you've done nothing wrong. You've tried a thing that the data seemed to indicate would be a good idea. You've gone after it. The data is now telling you that it's not working. Is that the creative? Is it the message? Is it the targeting? Which part of it is going wrong? Change. Decision tree, left, right, straight on, et cetera. And then we're going down and we're refining and refining and refining and we can be stronger and stronger in the creative because we know we're going in the right direction. And I think I just oversimplified my entire career, but like that's <laughs> basically how it should work. Yeah, yeah. I really like your Netflix example. So I think they're one of the few really, really big companies that actually tread the line of being provocative in terms of their content production. I know they're a content production machine, it's literally what they sell content. Um but I do think they're one of the a really great example of, you know, they, they have all of that data coming in terms of what people are watching, what people are clicking. And they use that to inform their creative process, which is more content for people to view. But if you go through their content, a lot of it is, you know, just, you know, content for people to consume. But there is some quite provocative stuff in there. They're very difficult to pin down ideologically, politically, on a number of different areas. We do occasionally chuck stuff out there, where I think, Craig, if that was put out by the BBC or CNBC, I'm not sure those organizations could get away with it, but somehow Netflix managed to have this kind of plurality to their, um, to their content, but also, you know, they are provocative and that, that provocation is coming through the data they're seeing at the back end. I can only assume. Well, yeah. And, and not just on, because they're not just taking trends that have gotten to that point, right. But then they must have algorithms and engines and very smart people extrapolating where that trend for watching habits is going. And then they're trying to, you know, what's the lead time on a, on a world-class documentary a couple of years? Like you're trying to extrapolate what that documentary needs to look like in 24 months time when it's released to meet the needs that were 20 month, 24 months prior and where you thought it was going to go, which is equally why you end up with um, flops and misses. But, you know, great example, Save the Last Dance, um, uh, the last dance, sorry, not the not the nineties R and B uh, film, but the last dance with Michael Jordan. Um, the huge success of that 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 completely probably confounded them on how far and wide of a demographic that actually reached to people that aren't mm-hmm. even sports fans getting on this bandwagon of what was an amazing documentary, and then it's no shock that you then see the Beckham documentary, the Sylvester Stallone documentary, the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. The real scary thing is, is they came out 12 months after, for 18 months after the Save the Last Dance. They probably had them in the works and then pulled the trigger on them as quickly as they could because they saw that trend. And then you get, and I agree with you about the provocation because Apple's not provocative, really. I mean, you know, well, at all. And Prime, I don't think Prime's really worked out what it was going to be as a, as a streaming. Netflix is quite unique in some of what it creates that doesn't make friends, you know, like there's stuff that goes after big pharma, there's stuff that goes after uh, the tobacco industry, there's stuff that goes after um, political views. But then you get down, then you're using the user behavior and the profiling. They're probably not to give it like I'm completely flippant comment, but they're probably not serving what uh, an American Republican Democrat anti-republican anti information or vice versa 
political like it it almost certainly goes that to that level where your people's predilections people's biases people's preferences then also precludes them from being served certain content and it's super smart i'm sure it'd be i'd love the geek in me would love to know more about that (laughs) yeah they're an amazing company and i think you're right they've got so much data and so much demographic data that they can you know create personas that content is served to but um i really do like their model i guess um it wouldn't be a marketing podcast in 2024 about thinking about ai or at least discussing it for a moment um you know how how does the creative process fit with ai what you know are we going to use ai to inform our creative decisions are we going to be able to test our creative process you know through ai and with ai you know what are your kind of broad picture thoughts as someone who's you know managing marketing for a for a startup and you must be dipping your toe in the mark in the kind of water with the uh, ai so what are your early thoughts on that absolutely i think from all my toe dipping um at the moment there isn't an ai that i would trust to go completely unmanned like that you have to run your ai in parallel with actual people um because they it sets you off on a logical, rational route, whether that be for copywriting, whether that be for campaign creation, whether that be for slide deck creation or user-generated videos, but it still needs a human oversight. And I think we'll be a long way away from entirely autonomous, totally um, sort of isolated AIs doing a function that you can trust it to do, unless it's the marketing equivalent of a robotic arm in a pharmaceutical lab. like. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff you can trust because you're asking it to do a finite action that has no consequence. If you're asking an AI, if you ask, good example, if you ask anybody in the performance marketing world, PPC, everything else, I know Google just made a load of layoffs in that space. But if you ask people that do CRO, PPC, pay, performance, growth, all of those pe- people, they make decisions based on trends, data, indicators, behavior, all of that stuff. And then it doesn't work. Like everything said, if you were an AI engine, everything's saying, if I change that word, if I change cat to dog, I'll get more. And then you do it and your engagement drops by 33%. And it does not make sense. It didn't even just stay the same. It dropped. And you're there going, that makes no sense. The only thing I changed was cat to dog and it's dropped. There is so much nuance and there's so much iterative learning and so much tweaking that goes on in managing huge ppc programs etc again i think it would defy ai logic like it, it like because humans which is ultimately right back to my original point are what's on the end of it we aren't always rational or logical mm-hmm. and there are so many minuscule factors that go into why and how we make a decision including what we had for breakfast that morning that it's impossible for an ai to be us you could get one that reacts but you can't get one that predicts. So AI is AI for generating imagery, AI for copy. I think all of it definitely has a place, particularly in organizations of my size, because you can invest in a tool that helps you do break the back of the work. Like mm-hmm. people, like I, I, I think we're a long way away from replacing people, but there will be, like I say, that, that robotic arm analogy that's the bit where AI can step in with confidence. And I think we'll see adoption of that more and more in the next three to five years, 100%. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of repeatable tasks that Marxists do that could be done yeah. uh, by a piece of AI. 
And I, I suspect you're right. That's probably where we'll see the first um, the first kind of encroachment into what we have, we as marketers have been doing and where AI can uh, can take over from it. Um, okay, well, it's been an interesting conversation, Keith. I kind of started thinking that um, you know data and creativity are in competition with each other, but perhaps you know you've convinced me they're kind of two sides of the same coin. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that was my goal. For I was going to I was going to change you, whether it killed me. <laughs> Okay, well, look, thanks for your time, Keith. I don't know if you want to let people know where where they can find you, what your socials are. Uh, yeah, I'm easiest to find on LinkedIn, to be honest. Uh, Keith Bovey at Panacea. Um, uh, yeah, happy to talk to anyone and answer any questions. Love to. Awesome. Okay, thanks for your time today, Keith. Cheers, Paul. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. Don't stop now. There's more to explore. Dive into our other captivating episodes where we uncover revenue boosting strategies, insider secrets and inspiring success stories. Get ready to unleash your marketing potential and stay ahead of the game. Keep listening and enjoy the next episode.